Welcome to the Life in the Red podcast presented by the Lincoln Journal Star, your source for Husker news, analysis, and more. From football in the fall to recruiting in the summer, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Bassnett, Parker Gabriel, and Stephen M. Sipple. Three, two, one. Welcome in. It's the Life in the Red podcast, and we are truly a band of nomads this week. I'm Parker. I'm at home. That's boring in the grand scheme of things. There's Sipple. He's at Scooters. And Baz, Chris Baznet, live from Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport in Roots. There it is. Look at that. The walk. The walkway. What is that like? The, are those the Seagates, Baz? Uh, yeah, we're in the Sea Concourse right now, the Delta yeah, Concourse. Sea Concourse, flying Delta. We're flying Delta. Yeah. Down to Minneapolis for uh, <laughs> basketball media days, men's and women's. Bass has to board in like 10 minutes, so we're going to rearrange our order here a little bit. We're going to jump like right into this week's hot topic. We're going to give game predictions so Bass can get his in, and then Sipple and I will talk more football after a quick overview of Hoops and Bass. So right into the uh, hot topic of the week. Does what happens on the field Saturday between Nebraska and Michigan affect how you view progress in 2021 from the Nebraska football program? Simple, go. Yeah, it's a very, I mean, we talk about this all the time. Baz has referred to it. You know, it seems like every single game is a referendum on the program. Um, Nick Baugh today said, yeah, it's like a referendum followed by a town hall meeting, you know, like, <laughs> Um, you know, oh, yeah. is, Scott, is Scott Frost program making progress or not? Not should he survive the season or should he be fired? I mean, it's all very weighty. You know, the one thing I would say though is it's sort of hard to deny deny progress. Look at we're gonna have, we're gonna have some poison noise here. As long as long as it, well, if you look at. The, a big topic this week, which was the 218 game and how outmatched Nebraska was compared to now, where I don't think anybody feels this is a mismatch. Isn't that progress right there? I mean, the, yeah. the, only, the only thing that would speak against progress is another Michigan blowout win. And that, I guess it's conceivable that could happen, um, but I don't it's, – it's only conceivable to me is if Nebraska, if, if Nebraska has colossal breakdowns in special it's uh, go so go ahead, Baz. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, you know, I I think they could lose close and it could still be a referendum because what if they lose close and it's just a comedy of errors, you know, like it was yeah. at Michigan State. You know, if it's a, if it's a three point game, that's and a good point. A, that's a yeah, punt that's return a, or yeah. the offensive line go, falls back into its own habits and and all those sorts of things. And they go, well, if they would have done this or if they wouldn't have had that holding penalty, then we're right back where we started. So I don't even think it needs to be a blowout for it to. To be to to be a referendum on progress or anything like that. So I, I think I think it will be a close game. I think if if you're picking a blowout here, you're crazy. But yeah, they they've just got to continue what they did last week. And I don't think any of us expect the Nebraska to have the production like it did last week against Northwestern, uh, certain uh, offense. But look, they're going to be in the game. Defense is going to give them a shot. The way Michigan plays, the way that Michigan wants to run the ball is going to keep that game close too. I think so. If Nebraska goes out, plays a clean game, loses. That's one thing. But if they go out, play a play a mistake-filled game, then, then I think you're right back where you're starting. That's a good point, Baz. Yeah, Baz, I think the thing that sort of builds on that is 
if that happens, you know, if you lose a close game and you just make a bunch of mistakes and it's not clean and, you know, sort of comedy of errors, like you say, the thing that's going to, I think the question that pops up then is like, what more do you need to get to a place where you can beat a top 25 team? Now, Michigan's not just a top 25 team. They're ranked number nine. They're undefeated, but they don't look, I guess on paper, like the defense is, you know, probably more talented in the front seven than Michigan State by a little bit. Their offensive line might be a little yeah, bit Yeah, they are. They're more but talented it, Michigan State. But it looks – I think Michigan offensively looks similar uh, to Michigan State. And so if you could, had every chance to win that game, if, if Nebraska's got a chance to win this game, then one of the steps in progr- a program's progress is their ability to get over the hump and win a big game. We haven't Absolutely. seen that. We haven't seen that from Nebraska so far. I mean, if you were if you were going to say what are the best wins of, of Scott Frost's tenure so far at Nebraska, it's probably a nine to six win over Michigan State in the snow at Memorial Stadium in 2018. Um, and then a win over a talented Penn State team that didn't have a win yet last year, you know, that was winless. And so, you know, I think at this point, you're one of the marks of progress that you're looking for is a sort of is a win against a really good team. And that's, that's what Michigan is not insurmountable by any means. And then having said all that, it's not like if they lose this game, 27, 26, everything is lost and there's no, you can't point to anything that's better about the program. So, you know, I, I think that there, it can be a, there can be insight about progress, even if it's a close game. Um, But sweeping conclusions in this industry, like in a lot of industries are often not advised. Yeah, it's interesting that that win against Michigan State in 2018, to which you refer that Michigan State was set that Michigan State team was seven and six. Um, Penn State, yeah, what did they what did Penn State finish last year? Three, not, three, not very good. Yeah, four and five, maybe they got yeah. hot at the end of the year, four and five. Yeah, yeah, yeah started one five, won their last four. Yeah, that's okay. right. This would clearly be Frost biggest win. Um, and yeah, they, no, you're right. There, there's definitely something to be said for this mindset of coming close now doesn't mean you got to get over it. I, I'm, you got to get over the hump. I mean, coming close, there's just not that much to be said for. It doesn't mean, like you said, Parker, it doesn't mean that there's not progress in the program. Clearly there is. I mean, I think that's very evident, especially in personnel. Because no longer are we saying Nebraska is overmatched or even outmatched talent-wise. Yeah, um, I do believe Michigan will be a – Parker, I think it's a significant step up from Michigan State defensively. I've watched Michigan now. I think their defensive front's much better than Michigan State. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I agree with you on offense. I don't. I think it's a very similar offensive game. Yeah, so this is a huge task, but I, um, I, I'm going to try not to overreact either way although a win would be monumental for the program. So sure to overreact in any way, but it would be the biggest win in Scott Frost's tenure and potentially <laughs> change the direction of the entire program. Well, I don't say – no, I would say it's the biggest No, I know. I would, I it would be. It would be. I, I wouldn't say that it would necessarily change everything on a dime. No, no. It would, it would be the biggest win of his tenure for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, they're, they're calling my gate here, so we should probably do some predictions. <laughs> Call it, Baz. Yeah, um, I've gone back and forth so much. Um, yeah. I think, I think, I think it'll be close. I think it'll be really close. I think Michigan 
wins a really, really close game, and not because Nebraska plays poorly. I just think that defensive front is going to be a lot to handle. Aiden Hutchinson is going to give Teddy Prohaska some problems, I think, up front. So give me the Wolverines in a close, low-scoring game. I'll say 24-21. Okay, thank you, Bass. Safe travels to you. Safe travels. What's, what's, the, what's the one thing you want to learn while you're, before we let you go? What's the one thing you want to learn in Indianapolis from Big Ten basketball media days? Maybe just if Fred Hoiberg's any closer to a rotation. Uh, we kind of got an idea yesterday at Pro Day. Um, we saw the top 10 guys. So if, he, if they're any closer to making that kind of decision, I, I bet I could probably tell you what the answer he's going to give is. But I, we'll, see. we'll see what he says. All right. Well, also try to investigate whether the uh, shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's is still as good as it was a couple of years ago. Michael, Michael, live on Twitter for the St. Elmo's shrimp cocktail tonight. I got an I got an 8 p.m. Central reservation at St. Elmo's. So let's go. Let's go. Hey, it's my birthday. I'm going to treat myself. Oh, happy birthday! Hey, happy birthday, Baz. Hey, thanks, guys. 45. Uh, a young 45. 47. It's not quite 78 like Sipple, but. I'm in my 70s. It's actually 42. So All right, happy birthday, and enjoy the hell out of it. All right, boys. We'll talk to you later. All right, God bless right, you. Guys. God, Bass. Bass. How about Bass? Traveling wow. on his birthday, getting into the pod from the airport. What a dude. Going what to St. Elmo's. What a dude move. That's a long day, and it will feel well worth it when he's his sinuses are clearing out as he gets into that shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo. Okay, continuing, continuing. This is, this is a gigantic game. It's, it's funny how the world works. Everything moves really fast, but we do, sometimes I have to stop and think, yeah, you know what? This is pretty big. <laughs> it's going to feel big um, on that night, too, because the crowd, it'll be a, which gets us to a subject. I think that home field is critical in this discussion. Critical. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, and it's and a lot of it's about what we talked about last week, which is the fans recognize that this is a good Nebraska defense, and they get behind it. And that's something to get behind. I mean, and then that we I, I talked last week about how it's reciprocal, and you could feel it last week, and you may feel it more this week. You know? Yeah, it was cool. One of the things there was a lot about last week. A lot of the small stuff got sort of swept under the rug a little bit just because it was such a, I mean, it was just such a sort of eye-popping performance with the final score of what it was. And, and then, you know, Thunderstruck and the light show uh, between the third and fourth quarter, I think that took up a lot of conversation. But I remember pretty distinctly, you know, Nebraska went on offense first um, because Northwestern won the toss and deferred. And they went down and scored. They had a 70-yard play, and it was raucous, and the balloons went up right away and all that. But there was a – I thought uh, there was a pretty – it was pretty loud. One of the louder moments of the night was the first time the defense came on the field and the crowd's, you know, reaction to a group that I think has really um, earned the trust for the most part of Nebraska fans and that Nebraska fans have really come to appreciate. Um, And they they gave them a pretty good – you know, that – they, they allowed two scoring opportunities and one touchdown and, and they forced a turnover on the goal line on the other one and, and Northwestern didn't sniff a scoring chance after that. So they, they've, they definitely fed off the energy of the crowd. The guys said that, and man, it's going to be a live wire on uh, Saturday night in, in that building this weekend. Right. And it's worth pointing out that Michigan, there'll, there'll be a lot of Michigan players that haven't seen this thing because of last, you know, last year there was yeah. no crowd. Most notably Kate, Kate McNamara. Yep. 
um, their quarterback hasn't he? He came on the scene last year during the COVID year where no, there were no crowds. Now this is going to be his first first go round in this environment, in this sort of environment. And if Nebraska is able to bottle up that Michigan run to a significant degree and then put pressure on Matt Namara, that pressure along with the crowds can be a lot to handle. Yeah. Some guys react to it really well. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of guys who who put their arms around it and they love it. Now, I've seen other guys come come in to those situations and it clearly rattles. So I don't know what kind of guy McNamara would be. But I know this about McNamara. He's not wildly talented and he doesn't run the ball. Um, so he's going to have to get it out and get it to the stage. It's interesting. Um, they've... Last week against Wisconsin, Wisconsin's really struggled offensively this year, but Wisconsin's got statistically, you know, early in the season, uh, the best run defense in the country. And Michigan, yeah, yeah, but if you go by yards per game allowed and also per carry, 1.6 yards per carry. Yeah, 43 yards a game they allow rushing. And Michigan tripled that yardage-wise, but when you look at it, it was 44 for 122 or 125. 44 for 112. 112. So yeah. two point two and a half yards or less per carry. Two and carry. a half yards a carry, yeah. That yeah. that's I mean, that's that's struggling to run the football um against a really good run defense. And yet, and then Michigan in that game, Michigan had 15 first downs. 15, pretty modest number. And before that, the week before that, against Rutgers, they didn't have an offensive first down in the second half. But here's what I like. They found a way to win that Rutgers game, even though they didn't play well in the second half. And they scored 38 points against Wisconsin because they forced three turnovers and controlled the game and had good special teams play. And so the ability to, you know, they've only thrown the ball 95 times this season and they were really grinding it out on the ground against Wisconsin. And yet they found a way to put 38 on the board um, against a really talented defense because they controlled the game. So it's a very it's that battle. I think on Saturday night, it's going to feel like an old school Big Ten game. I think because both teams, both of these teams, think that their recipe to winning games runs through controlling the clock, controlling the ball, keeping its defense in good possession position, uh, and then taking advantage when you get in the red zone. So it's um, yeah, I, I think it's got a chance to be a really physical low scoring type of game. Uh, and that would be, be pretty intense. Uh, at Memorial oh yeah. Yeah. There, and, you know, you, look, you always look for X factors, you know, Aiden Hutchinson might be Michigan's X factor, but I'd say Adrian Martinez gives Nebraska an X factor. Yeah. Michigan has not seen anything like Adrian Martinez this year. Any quarterback, there's you might say Noah Vedral, um, but I mean, come on. I mean, compare him athletically. Yeah. Noah's a good quarterback, but no, I mean, I saw a Detroit writer say that to, you know, kind of intimate that's a viable comparison. I wouldn't say it is not because Noah doesn't have nearly the explosiveness that Adrian has, nor the size. I mean, yeah. Adrian's 6'2", 215, probably a little bit, bit heavier than 215, and, um, and really can run. I mean, and he's really healthy, too. Um, and by the way, so is Nebraska, which yeah, extremely healthy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is um, another sign. That's kind of a sign of progress, by the way, that seven games in, you're not all beat up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
I think we, we should come back to that in a minute, but I wanted to ask you, I'm sure you've been asked this on various platforms this week, several times. What would, what is your answer if I were to submit to you that perhaps big number zero on offense can also be an X factor this week and beyond? I'd say it's too early to tell on that. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, I mean, I, I obviously, I like that big running back picture I always have, but I, I'd have to see a little bit more um, of him. It's going to be a lot tougher, um, a lot tougher. Uh, front seven for Michigan. Is, there's no comparison between Michigan's front seven and Northwestern's. So I don't know. Just that they I, put seven players in the front seven typically. That's that, yeah, that's about it. The, uh, so I don't know. You know, Yant at the end of the day is a freshman. Um, and I, I, I just have to see more, Parker. I just have to yeah. see more. I do like the way he hangs onto the ball. And I like his feet. Um, obviously, his size is alluring. But those two things, his, his, he's really mindful of ball protection, and he's got great feet for that side. It's interesting, uh, and this sort of, you know, we saw on Saturday against Northwestern, we saw Jack Yant for the first meaningful reps of the season. He got five carries against Fordham. And we saw Oliver Martin back after missing uh, yeah. four games. And so it's, it's interesting to me, Simple, it sort of gets back to what you just touched on a minute ago. At the midpoint of the season, with two games now left before Nebraska gets an off week, you know, they play Michigan, play Minnesota a week from Saturday, and then they've got the first two bye weeks coming up. They are adding players, basically. I mean, Brant Banks wasn't available. Brock Bando missed a couple games, sort of working his way back. But by, by and large, they lost Gabe Irvin earlier in the season. But by and large, that's two skill players that Nebraska added back into its repertoire rather than – you know, losing guys over the first half of the season. And they could get Thomas Fedoni down the stretch. I mean, it's been it's been a pretty remarkable year health-wise. I mean, Gabe Irvin would say, yeah, great. What good did that do me? And Javen Wright would say the same thing. But by and large, it's, it's pretty impressive uh, where Nebraska's at from a health standpoint at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, I think that indicates – I mean, I think there's that, – that indicates that there's good work being done in, in the weight room and in physical training and, and guys taking care of themselves, luck enters into it, of course. But I, I, I never, I mean, I don't look at it totally as luck when, when a team stays healthy. It's, it indicates, um, it indicates that guys are taking care of themselves and that the off season was very productive, um, which is, you know, that, that Yant discussion is interesting. You know, you heard it a lot. I occasionally have people say, Hey, how, how come they're not playing Yant? They're missing out. Some of those people would say that, see what they're missing. Well, I mean, Scott explained it really well. I mean, yeah. if a guy is 30 pounds overweight going into fall camp and Scott says, we're not playing you until we feel you're ready. That's the, I think that's the right approach. And I think that's a sound, I think that's a sound way to do it with everybody. Um, because it, 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 where it would bother me as a coach is commitment. It would indicate a yeah. lack of commitment. To me. Um, and I would almost take it personally. Like, you, you know, you're on my team and you show up 30 pounds. You not respect what we're doing here, you know? So I think they took the right tack with him. And, and, you know, you heard a lot of criticism about why isn't bets on the field earlier. And some of that came from my mouth or why isn't Manning playing? Well, now that you look at it, 
maybe the whole idea was let's put them on the field when they're ready to make plays, not, not when they're not ready to make plays or we have to force it or we have to create situations for them to make plays. That's a theory, and that's a, it gets down to a philosophical discussion. But I don't mind the philosophy of requiring players to be ready for everything. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's, I, I don't know why it, that, that's so bothersome to some people, but it's not bothersome to me. It's interesting because we've seen it in several, we've seen it in several instances, too, where, you know, like Wyatt Lever does not play as many snaps a receiver hasn't the last couple of weeks as he did at the beginning of the year. And some of that's because guys who have, I think it's fair to say, I mean, Wyatt's a really good athlete, um, but guys who have more raw ability um, have come on and, and have taken snaps and, and are playing more as the year goes on. And it got to a point with Teddy Prochaska at left tackle where he proved to the coaching staff um, that it was time to give him a shot. And they did, you know, same with that evolved though. Right. I mean, yeah, I bet yeah, Teddy Prohaska on August 7th wasn't where he is now. Right. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And for a true freshman, a guy who just got to campus in January at a position like left tackle, I mean, it meant a lot. I mean, Teddy had to sort of get himself into a position where the coaching staff trusted him enough to use him in that jumbo tight end. Package. I mean, that was, he was playing in the second and third quarter against Oklahoma. You know, that's not like, hey, let's just throw him out. There. That, that was a game Nebraska had intentions of winning, um, you know, against a top five team in the country. So he's out there for a couple snaps, get a little time. And at the end of a couple of lopsided games before that, and suddenly you put enough in front of the coaching staff to say, hey, look, maybe this guy deserves a shot. And, and sure enough, uh, now he's a starting left tackle. So it's evolved. There's certainly – occasionally there are cases where you could look at it and say, wow, you know, that guy should he have been on the field earlier. But I think as, sure. it, pertains, as yeah. it pertains to Yant and as it pertains to Teddy Brahaska for sure, and probably the receivers too, you just see less of it, I guess. Um, it's probably – you got to earn your way. There's no, that's, you want guys to earn their way quickly. If you're a coaching staff or if you're a fan, that's understandable, but you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes you got to go prove that, that you deserve to be out there. Yeah. And I also understand that coaches miss, um, they, they make sure. wrong decisions on personnel that they're human. Um, and I've seen it. I, I mean, I, I saw it with Joe Gans and Keller, the quarterback, they, I, I started the wrong guy back, back in that time period. Um, it was evident, but in, in for various reasons, coaches do make wrong decisions. But I also understand, like I'll tell you, like that, a guy like Bet. See, he looks very ready to me now, and they put him out there now more because he's because of his readiness. And if you put him out there when he's not ready, he runs a wrong route, which he did against Purdue last year, um, and it gets a you, you give up an interception. That affects the team and it affects the kid and it affects the way the other kids look at it. Um, so, I mean, in a sense, what they do is, in a sense, what a coach is doing is taking care of a player and, and saying, we're not putting you out there until you're ready. That's not necessarily punishment. You could also look at that as they're just taking care of the kid. We're yeah. not going to put you in a situation you're not ready for. And if you judge, if you judge a player that way, that's not necessarily a, a negative. I mean, they're waiting for a kid to be ready to excel. I mean, that's another way to look at it. 
Jacquez Yant may sort of, it was, it's not exactly your point, but it's close on Saturday when he said, you know, the, he said, I wasn't happy when the coaches told me that I wasn't going to play till I hit this weight, but he said, but they're paid to be coaches. And if that's what they, if that's what they think is best for me, if that's what they need for me, then it's my job to do it. And I thought that was a pretty, you know, you can. It's a really good reaction. Is what that yeah, means. it is. I mean, and you can, you could say, well, it wouldn't have been a problem if you wouldn't have shown up 25 pounds overweight in the first place. And that's, that's obviously fair. That's a, that would be a fair criticism, but um, it's a mature, it's, it sounds like he handled it in a relatively mature way once he was in that situation. Yeah. And it feels almost like a no brainer when you think about it. If he showed up at 260, what do you do? Yeah. Move him to guard. I mean, I, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. It, I, and I will see what that picture looks like, man. If he, if he gets five yards of pop against Michigan, I know he got more than that against Northwestern, but if he just goes four or five yards of pop against Michigan, then 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 that conversation really gets real. Um, speaking of speaking of conversations that could take off further, do you think we're talking about earning your way onto the field? Uh, do you think that the option has earned its way onto the field in a more substantial way for Nebraska's offense? I mean, we'll see. Now, what happens now is defenses will adjust more now that they're seeing it more. Michigan will probably – I mean, those guys are paid a lot of money to come up with answers to that sort of stuff. And Michigan will Michigan will be mindful of it. We'll see. Well, it's, it becomes a chess match at this yeah. point. Now that Nebraska's shown it more, teams will have to prepare more for it. And some guys will have some answers for it. So I guarantee Nebraska's coaches are probably anticipating that, but, but, but Parker, there's a, I mean, to me, it's sort of an equalizer. I mean, if your offensive line's struggling, which Nebraska's has, I mean, I, this isn't just simple talk. And I I talked to Tom Osborne about it. Oh, he knows about the, he knows about the option. Yeah. And he says it definitely takes pressure off the offensive line because they don't have to hold their blocks as long. You know, you get your guys out on the perimeter and you get them in one-on-one situations, and that does take a little pressure off the offensive line. They still got a block, I and mean, there still has to be execution, but yeah, it does. And I think it—I don't know if that's why Nebraska's doing it, but that would make sense. It also makes sense from the standpoint of they have a quarterback that can do it. I mean, there's not a lot of teams in the nation that can say we have a quarterback that can run the option like Adrian Martinez. I wonder how many teams could even say it. Um, yeah, who could do that and then also be dangerous, you know, throwing the ball down the field and doing other things besides just, you know, running veer 55. Yeah, you can't run the option with anybody. I mean, right. and and Tom said Adrian could have ran it at any point, you know, starting in the 70s through the 80s through the 90s. He, he would have been a guy they would have recruited, a guy they would have played. Um, Osborne happens to be a big fan of Martinez. Um, and I can see why, because he's, he, he, because, he, he, you know, Austin Allen said something interesting the other day. He said, Adrian runs the option well, because he's a football player. I mean, Adrian's a, and that's the kind of quarterback I like. I mean, Eric Crouch, Parker, Tommy Frazier, they were football players. Eric yeah. would have been a great safety. Um, Frazier would have, could have played, multi, he could have played running back, safety, whatever he asked. Um, they're football players. And, and Adrian, I mean, I know it didn't necessarily come easily for him, that pitch, learning the pitch, you know, timing and the, the distance, all that. But 
it, it took some work, but man, he looks smooth doing it now. He does. I thought even the, um, you know, they had, they got good enough blocking on the perimeter and, and bets obviously has a world of ability. Uh, Northwestern didn't have the athleticism or uh, sort of surprisingly just seemed like they were out leveraged a lot on some of that option stuff, but the ball handling, I thought on the first play Nebraska ran in the second half, just to give the look of the, of the dive. And then the, and then the, the smoothness of the pitch to bets on the one that he took 83 yards. I think that just, it looked like, it looked like a guy who's been doing it for a long time. You know, it didn't look like a gimmick. It looked like, Hey, this is part of what they do. Well, and you know, you know, cause you were an awesome quarterback in high school, you know, that just doesn't happen. I mean, that, that had to be repped. I don't know how many times, but a lot. That, that, that kind of execution has to be repped and repped and repped and repped. And then you have to have a guy who has good hands, like a point guard, you know, I mean, some guys just have a knack for ball handling that others don't. And yeah. again, it just all goes back to Adrian's, Adrian's proficiency in a lot of different ways. And that, yeah, that play you're talking about the pitch to bets was exquisite ball handling. I mean, you can't do that. It doesn't work without that. So yeah, yeah that's, yeah, it was really a, it's really something kind of cool to watch. It's going to be interesting to see how with Aiden Hutchinson, you know, one of the oh, sort God. of games within the game is, I mean, when you, now the thing about option football is what, you know, if you, okay, you can say you want to sort of try to help neutralize, you're not going to fully neutralize him on every snap, obviously, but you can maybe neutralize him a little bit by leaving him unblocked and making him the read man. But when you've got a guy who's that talented you know, that's, that's saying, okay, let's see, let's see if you can play both or feather it or, or make the play or, you know, force a fumble or whatever. And so I just think between that, between the option stuff and the ability to read off of them and do all of that. And then also you see the way defenses for the most part have had to play Adrian this year where it's soft four man rush the teams don't blitz Nebraska a lot. Um, they muddle rush a lot so that Adrian, you know, doesn't have big open lanes to step up in the pocket and, and run through. It's going to be, I just think that's such an interesting um, chess match to see if they can scheme, they can scheme Hutchinson's oh, yeah. uh, impact on the game down a little bit yeah. or, or if they have to devote, like if they have to devote extra resources to him a lot that really hampers what you can do offensively and especially over the course of possession after possession after possession quarter after quarter so to me like I'm I'm just fascinated to watch how Michigan moves them around and then how Nebraska tries to I guess there's sort of like aggressive ways you can try to neutralize them and then there's protective ways you can try to neutralize them and I'm very interested to see how that sort of how the battle lines get drawn um, well and it's complicated by the fact that on the other edge yeah. They have a guy named David Ojebo, Ojebo, is that how you pronounce it? Um, who's got three and a half sacks and is six yeah. five, two fifty. I mean, it's not, you know, yeah, there's no question who their star player is. It's Aiden Hutchinson. But on the other end, there's another guy. And that yeah. that just complicates that complicates it further. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be a good one. Uh, should we pick it? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's really hard. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just like Baz. Um, I went back. I've gone back and forth on it a lot. I've, I've 
convince myself I was going to pick Michigan, convince myself I was going to pick Nebraska. I um, I went with a gut against Michigan State in the Michigan State week. I picked Nebraska. And for the exact – I said I just thought they'd find a way to win. And instead they – yeah, and instead they found a way to lose, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if it's residual from that or if it's just that I think Michigan might be slightly better, not world's better, but slightly better. I I, I think it's really honestly pretty close to 50-50. I'm picking Michigan 24 to 23. Okay, that's – yeah, it is. It's close. I'm, here's the thing I'm going to do. I'm going to pick Nebraska – and the, if you're picking Nebraska, it comes down to you. the fact you think Nebraska can hold down Michigan's running game to about like what Wisconsin did. And I think Nebraska's defense is as good as Wisconsin's. I don't know. I, I've, I, I believe that. Um, it's not the exact same type, but it's, I think it's as good. Um, then your bet, if you're, if you're, if you're picking Nebraska like me, you're betting on Martinez being an X factor and you're betting on that Nebraska will be competent in special teams and up front competent, no colossal errors, or maybe you get away with one or something. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then I think the other factor that I didn't mention is the crowd. I think that, I think this, I think Memorial stadium at night is worth a point or two. Um, and I think, I think Adrian's skill level and the fact that he's healthy and the team's healthy is worth a point or two. And I think that could put Nebraska over. Um, so I'll say, how about I say 24 to 21, 24 to 21. But I'm with you. It's a, it feels like a pick em game. It, does, it feels like we say this a lot. I mean, it's, it's football. But I, I – one turnout, you know, the team that turns it over twice might lose. Yeah. Um, or if yeah. there's only one in the game, the team that turns it over might lose. You know, yep. I mean, but if it's two to one, it's just one of those games where it feels like the plus one – you know, yeah, maybe makes a difference. And I know people are going to say, well, yeah, look at Adrian's history. Well, I would counter with look at McNamara's sort of lack of history in this kind yeah. of game. I mean, there's a lack of history that's also something you need to address, especially if he's throwing the ball downfield into a good secondary, you know, yeah. with some yeah. heat. With some heat. If Nebraska can come up with a couple picks, that can be a game changer, you know, especially that's with a real way, that's a yeah, go ahead, Sybil. Especially with a couple with the way a couple of those guys run the ball after they get it. I mean, when, if, if uh, Cam Taylor Britt gets a pick, I mean, who knows where that's going? He can run. I mean, so yeah. that, uh, I think that's just something to watch. Yeah, definitely. I, I thought, you know, that was the line on Peyton Thorne to draw, draw it back to Michigan state again was he's taking really good care of the ball and all of that. And he had nine touchdowns and no turnovers. And then he threw a pick down the middle of the field on the first possession. Um, yep. you know, they didn't get Holinsky, um, much, but they had hands on the ball uh, three or four times. I mean, it's, you know, I don't think Michigan's skill, I don't think the receivers blow you away. Like Jaden Reed, by the way, the Michigan State receiver, is leading the country in all-purpose yards. I mean, that's a, re- that's a really good player who got him on a flea flicker and on a punt return touchdown. I'm not sure if Michigan has a, a guy like that. They're okay. They've got some big play receivers, but I just – if you're Nebraska secondary, that veteran group, you're going into it thinking, "Hey, we can run with these guys." You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no. They won't it's, be in. Cornelius Johnson's a big, a good big receiver, six two, two oh five, big body. 
Uh, they got a guy named Roman Wilson that can hurt you, but they're not, no, they're not loaded at receiver. Those guys are good. Those guys I mentioned are good, but um, they're not. There's nobody that was going to scare Dante Williams. Yeah. They lost uh, Bellamy was their best receiver and he got hurt earlier in the year. And so mm -hmm. um, that, yeah, it's, uh, it's just, we could talk about it all afternoon. So it's a fascinating game and um, I'm excited about it. I, I think, I said this this morning on on your radio. Maybe it was on your radio show or someone else. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, we're on about seventy of them. So go, yeah, I understand. <laughs> but I think it's. I think outside of just the intrigue that surrounded Frost's first game, the one that got canceled because of lightning, and then there was a lot of hoopla in uh, September in 2019 when game day came to town and it was Ohio State and they, you know, they announced the facility and all that. But I, I think that this might be. I think this is probably the most interested at, I, I've been in a game since I've been here. Oh, wow, year really? Game. And, and wow. I think it's – I think right from the – right from Monday, I've been excited to get to the stadium. I don't I mean – I don't care who wins and who loses, but I, I – um, it's going to be really fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to – Well, it's a big – and, you know, the other part we didn't even talk about, and, again, we could talk all afternoon. You know, we didn't even talk about what – I mean, this win would be big for Michigan too. I mean, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Harbaugh is under a fair amount of pressure. I mean, Harbaugh is making $4 million this year after making $8 million last year. I mean, you can really just boil it down to that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he took a 50% pay cut. There's some, there's some, there's some pressure. In there. And by the way, their schedule gets rough at Penn State, at Michigan State, at Maryland. Um, he, and, and he, of course, course he has a big game against Ohio State, which he's not, I don't think he's come close to beating Ohio State. So there's a lot. There's a lot left. They need momentum. I, that Harbaugh doesn't. What he doesn't need is a loss to Nebraska. You, you know. So I could hardly believe this. That last week when they won at Wisconsin, that was it's his seventh year. That was their first win under Harbaugh as an under. Really interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, it's a big one. It is a yeah. big one. Anything else for the the good of the cause? Simple. Anything you want to? No, I'm gonna go. Go. I'm gonna go right. Right. What is it? Is that? Oh, you're calling this. So you. Write. Yeah, we have to write sometimes <laughs> really quickly, but we have to do we have to do it. Boss still there? I think. He, yeah, I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him leave. Yeah. Clark Grell is here between his assignments. He's at Lincoln Studio. Journal Star Sports Editor. Yeah. At uh, kind of our satellite post. Satellite. Maybe I'll swing by in a little bit. That'd be great. I'm yeah, I'm right by the counter. All right. Uh, that's, right you will be right by the counter getting it. You yeah. get you mango smoothie later or something. Uh, yeah, I'll probably get a bacon <laughs> ciabatta. And a, yeah, bacon ciabatta. Ooh, all right. No, Baz uh, is on his way to cover Big Ten basketball media days in Indianapolis. He'll have a ton of coverage on that. We got football coverage today, tomorrow, all week leading up to Saturday night, Nebraska, number nine, Michigan, Memorial Stadium, 6.30 p.m. It's an ABC game. Uh, a lot of you will be there. We'll have coverage for you. Um, so keep it tuned to journalstar.com, huskerextra.com for all the latest. For Sipple, I'm Parker. Thank you for watching, listening, and please think about uh, subscribing, journalstar.com slash huskers. Talk to you next week.